Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. That the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. When we look at that verse and we say, as long as he is a child, that would just mean, well, not an adult. We can relate to that pretty clearly. This is about an analogy here, right here on earth. A child doesn't have the same understanding as an adult. Us adults know that. Uh, I am going to value $1,000 differently, and so would you, than you would value $100, right? Well, a three-year-old really wouldn't get that. A four-year-old really wouldn't get the value of that. And I am going to understand as a parent, and as would you, the value of a hearty breakfast in the morning as opposed to ice cream every morning. Now, our seven-year-old son or grandson or daughter or granddaughter, they might not quite get that value, but we as parents and grandparents do. Uh, notice the words used in verse one. It says heir. See that? It says child, and it says servant Lord. Now, a few thoughts here relating to when it says a child. This is considered a position. In other words, it differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Um, well, let me back up a little bit. A child. How can he be Lord of all? Let's back up and read it again so we kind of get this. As long as he is a child, and then it says, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. So what is this, though he be Lord, if he's a child? Well, this view we're trying to get is, this is this distance view. The view we're trying to get is, that's his potential. Now, that's not the current state of his affairs, but... That's looking at the future. Uh, when we teach children or we're raising our own children or grandchildren, if you're teaching in any way, shape or form with kids, you know that they're here and you're trying to get them to go there. <laughs> you know that you have to say, well, this do you want to have uh, this is foolish activity. This is wise activity. And we want to try to get them to understand the value between foolishness and then what the Bible says about wisdom. And you can go straight on down the line. A child that is in math or he's in grade three in math. Well, he's not going to be at where a college level student at tech is. But we can get him to see that future. So this is this distance view that's future view. Look at Galatians chapter four, verse two, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. So this first point we got was the position. He's a child, different from servant, though he be Lord of all. But now we're going to see practically right now this child is under tutors and governors. In other words, the child doesn't rule his own life. His parents do. If his parents uh, say this is the schedule, that's the schedule. If the teacher says that this is the course curriculum, well, that's the course curriculum. The child is basically governed. And the child knows his or her place. But in this verse, look at what this is. This, this place is temporary. 
It says, until the time, look at it in verse number two, appointed of the father. There's a specific time when the child would get the inheritance from the father. And who's this time appointed by? It's appointed by the father, not the child. We draw that out of uh, Galatians chapter four. It's this temporary and there's this future time appointed. Now look at verse number three. The Bible says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. So here comes this spiritual application. Verses one and two, it was just down here, earthly, uh, practical application. We can understand child, tutor, okay, future book. But now we're starting to get a spiritual application. We're going to see this contrast in Galatians 4. This bondage. Now, notice what the Bible says using the word were. Even so, we, when we were children, and here it is again, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Were in bondage, were children. That's past tense. That, that might have been your position in the past. But not now. That is a past tense word very used very specifically. Matter of fact, the word bondage is used 15 times in the New Testament. And six of those times are used in the book of Galatians. It's a key word or theme that runs throughout. Bondage means you can't escape. You're in a constant fixed state of bondage. Uh, you're trapped. And it's under, in the Bible, it says, the elements of the world. Go down to verse number nine and look what it says. But now, after ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again, see the past tense here, to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You, you hear the questioning of the past? But they are weak and they are beggarly. So these elements of the world, they're worthless. Draw the timeline of when you think your life is going to end. 80, 90, 100, 110, 120. Elements of the world pass away. Our body of flesh passes away. We enter out into eternity. That is a lot longer. And this is why I'm constantly trying to remind myself and you that our perspective for eternity is so much more important than here and now. I can't watch the news longer than just to kind of get what's going on because it gets me aggravated, as I'm sure it does most of you. I'm telling you, it's going to pass. You know that it's going to pass. We're going to be with the Lord someday. It's just that we don't want to go right now, and we want our life to be a bit easier. <laughs> you know, how do you... It's, it's a lot of hard stuff to deal with. You know, I, if I don't stop thinking about how a guy that ran his campaign from his basement, is he going to run the government? Is he going to run our country from his basement? Like what? Like if I let my thoughts run on that rabbit trail, Sleepy Joe put me to sleep. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. And I can get aggravated. I can get annoyed just like you're going to get aggravated and annoyed. Just like you want me off that rabbit trail. I want to get off of it. I got to get my perspective on eternal perspective.
because we're on the winning side. We're not in bondage to the elements of this world. No matter what type of government we're under or we're restricted under, we've got an eternal perspective. And look at the look at verses four through six. Let's, let's read it. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because of your sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Look at God's timing, our present condition. Look at his timing. Verse four, but when the fullness of time was come, man, that's something to shout about. That time was prophesied. It refers back to verse number two. Look what it says. Till the time appointed of the father. That's something to say amen about. Hallelujah. That's the timing of God. He's going to send forth his son. It was prophesied and it happened. You know what people are more likely to think about this whole week? God, spiritual son, Jesus. No matter what you think about it, that's just the fact of life right now here on earth. Let's take advantage of it. That's the action. He sent his son. In verse four. Now, how is that going to happen? How is God going to send forth his son? Unless. He already existed. Now, there's some doctrine here we need to get because it's pretty clear. God sent forth his son. <laughs> Really? Yeah, really. We have the pre-existence of God. Of Jesus Christ as God. The pre-existence of the Son. Who is God? God the Son. John 16, 28, the Bible says, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. The action of God sending forth his son and the way the wording is. It presupposes the pre-existence of God. God doesn't have to explain who he is. He declares truth. It's up to us to accept that truth or not. Now the Bible says this. This is odd. Look what it says in verse four. It's an odd thing to say. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Why would you say that? When I had my, I don't say uh, when, when my son is born, by the way, he was made of a woman. People would look at me and say, well, that's odd. How else would he have been made? Because we take for granted that because it's kind of obvious. And if someone starts saying that, you'd be like, that guy's weird. <laughs> Why does he keep saying that? Well, it wouldn't be weird or odd if it's God <laughs> coming. So that's why it's important for that to be in the Bible, because why are you saying it's made of made of a woman? Because it's God Almighty.
coming in a body of flesh. Somebody says, you mean to tell me the son of God is going to be made? No. That's not what the Bible says. What I'm saying is what the Bible says. He's going to be made of a woman. That's what he is going to be made of. It's not he's going to be made, period. He's going to be made of a woman. Jesus is his name of humanity. We have very clearly the preexistence of God contrasted with this made of a woman, which would be completely and entirely out of line if any of us dads started talking like that about our sons that were born. Well, no, duh. What are you smoking? Of course he was made of a woman. <laughs> but we ain't talking about our son. We're talking about the son of God. And so we see that contrasted there. And the three takeaways I want us to understand here is this made of a woman is the virgin birth. We have Jesus Christ born and people want to take away the deity of him. This this idea that he is God. We saw the preexistence there. So I want you to get that. Second thing I want you to take away from this is we have a virgin birth. He was made of a woman. Third thing I want you to get out of this is it's the humanity of Christ. We have the human nature. And if Christ is made of a woman and a woman is human and we see the human nature of Christ, but we also see the preexistence of Christ, God sent forth his son. Well, how can he do that unless he preexisted? Well, he has and he did and he does. How can you have a human nature? And why would you why would we talk about the humanity of Christ? Why would you mention made of a woman unless he has another nature to contrast? So in Galatians 4, we get that. We get that contrast of he sent forth his son. There's that God nature. And then he's made of a woman. That's that human nature. Well, which one? That would be both. That would be both. The Bible says in verse number four, made of a woman or made under the law. Made under the law. Go back to Galatians 3. Look at verse 10. It refers back to here. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Savior of the world, met the demands, the high standard demands of the law. Who did God give the law to? The Jews. The Hebrews. Finally, somebody. That the Hebrew people, the Israelite people could meet that kept all of the law. You see that connection? Under the law connects his people, the Jews, the Hebrew people to, wow, this is somebody that actually kept it. So here's the next logical question. So why? Did God send forth his son made of a woman? Why would he do that? The Bible answers that in verse five. 
to redeem. That means to buy back, never be sold again. You can't be put on eBay. Them that were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons to redeem them. What have, be, what have we been redeemed from? Sin. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We are delivered from all of the penalties associated with breaking God's law. Galatians 3.13. Look at it again. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He sent forth his son to redeem us. Made of a woman to redeem us. Then the Bible says, them that were under the law. In verse number five, do you see that? To redeem, and then it says them that were under the law. Now, who was under the law? Remember, we talked about that. That was the Jews. Then the Bible says that we might receive the adoption of sons. That means we're placed in the family of God as an adopted son. Ephesians 1.5, the Bible says, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good will, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, you see here, we have, let's draw a contrast. We have under the law, that's, that's, that's the Jews. Look at verse number four. I want to tie this thought in and, and close this thought out. So look at verse number number four to the Jews. Look, made under the law right at the end of verse four. You have a specific connection to the Jews because they were given that law, the Hebrew people. Now, look at to all of us, this connection to all of us. Made of a woman. That's everybody. Because everybody was made of a woman. That means we're all included. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. The adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. That can be all of us. Now, one more thing to look at. It says, here's, here's, here's a specific application to the Jews. To redeem them. Well, who's the them? That were under the law. Which would be the Jews. So in verse number five, when you read to redeem them. Who's the them? That would be the Jews. Why? Because the Jews were under the law. Now watch the language change to include everyone. That we, verse number five, right after the comma in the middle, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Who's the we? That's all of us. Who's included in the gospel? All of us who can be redeemed by the curse. All of us. Jew that's under the law, trying to keep it. that can't us that are trying to keep the law that we can't. We all sin. Them, the Jews, we, the not the Jews. <laughs> we all fall under this umbrella. Of why God sent forth his son. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, and because you're sons. And when it says that, this is the result of being adopted. 
into God's family. Have you trusted Jesus Christ? You've been adopted into God's family. And because you're sons, that's the result. God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. You've got the same spirit. And that spirit is what enables you to cry what we all should cry. Spirit into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Ties it right back to this child in verse number one that we looked at. You know how many times Abba shows up in the Bible? Three times. Each time it's followed by the word Father. It's a, it's a tender form of language. It's an affectionate form of language. Galatians 4 in verse 6, we see it. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, we see it. And both times we see crying or whereby we cry. Let's look at the Romans 8 passage. It's good to flip through our Bibles. Romans chapter 8. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, look at verse 15. For we, I'm sorry, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That word bondage shows up again. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's. It's this. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles alike can become what in Christ? Sons. Adopted sons. So we, all of us, can cry, Abba, Father. There's a tender, affectionate wording there, as a child would call it, as a, or as a physical child would call it his physical father. we do that that'd be good to do that'd be something to pray about crying Abba Father look at verse 7 the Bible says wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son and if a son then an heir of God through Christ I think if we were all rich enough and had you know Millions and millions of dollars, and we can have a hired servant. Would the servant cry, Abba, Father? Not a chance. That servant might be working hard. That servant might be part of the family. But the servant isn't going to cry, Abba, Father. Now, how about the son? Will the son? You bet. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant. Bible talks about being a servant to sin and now a servant to righteousness. We get that. But the Bible says, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Meaning what I'm trying to say is there's this Abba Father. There's this son expression. There's this father-son expression where we didn't have that before. There would be no reason for us to cry out Abba Father. 
Now that we've been born again, now that we have the spirit of God, now we have the adoption as sons alike as Jews and Gentiles. Now we can come to God and say, Abba, Father, we couldn't do that before. But now we can, Abba, Father. It's a cry of trust. It's a cry of love. Bible says, and if a son, then an heir through God. Except it doesn't say that. That would be the New American Standard Bible. I want you to look at this because we can get tripped up pretty, pretty quick. Look what the Bible says. Then an heir of God through Christ. The modern version will say, then an heir through God. I have a question. What happened to Christ? Well, it was systematically taken out. The Bible says an heir of God through Christ. The NIV says God has made you also an heir. Christ is taken out. The New King James Bible has it right. But then they correct it in the footnote. Saying, and you omits. Nestle Allen's United Bible Society's Greek test, uh, text omits that. Those are different manuscripts, come from a different line we're not going to get into. But they get it right, and then they just correct it in the footnote as if we're supposed to overlook that. I don't care if you're correcting it by taking the words out or keeping the words in and putting in the footnote. Yeah, it really shouldn't be there. You corrected the Bible. The Bible says, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Who was born in the manger? The son of God, made of a woman, made under the law. They came to redeem Jews and Gentiles alike from the curse of the law and the curse of sin. And he did just that. We become an heir of God through Christ. He was sent as a baby boy in a manger. And if somebody doesn't believe that, they're wrong. If somebody doesn't want to give Christ the preeminence, they're wrong. If somebody wants to take the whole message of the birth of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the deity of Christ, and we're just going to talk about him as a good teacher and a good man. He did some good things and we should live by his principles. They're wrong. He came as a savior. And he was virgin born. Made under the law to redeem us from our sin. All right, let's let's make a contrast here. Look at verse number one, a child. Look at verse number two, a father. Look at verse number three, children. Look at verse number four, God sent forth his son. Look at verse number five, adoption of sons. Look at verse number six. The spirit of his son and Abba father. And the context of all that, you're going to try to convince me that the best manuscripts leave out through Christ. You're not going to convince me in a million years of that. Not only should it be there, but it perfectly fits the context to anybody that would read it logically. Completely fixed, fits the context. You want to make sure you have a Bible that has through Christ. Now, your sonship, your heirship, mine included, 
was accomplished by God's redemptive plan. And that redemptive plan was through Christ. You cannot remove Christ. This world wants Christ removed. This is why they don't want you saying Merry Christmas. They want you saying Merry Xmas. No matter what you believe about it, don't believe about it, all, all, all that, that is not the point of the message. The point is that people want to systematically remove Christ from anything. How come the public schools don't want to have a Christmas play? You think it's because some of the stuff that I would teach and preach about because they really studied the history? No. I'm going to tell you why. Because they don't want Christ's name mentioned. They'd rather have the name of some uh, drag queen or the name of some uh, just wicked person, somebody from Hollywood, than they would the name above every name, Christ. And this world will hate you and hate me if we mention his name. Our position is in Christ. And I want the Bible with all the right words. I want the right Bible with all the right words. All right, so here's 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 closing. <laughs> Verse number one says, Now I say that the heir. Our airship, this isn't prime real estate. This isn't the most expensive piece of real estate in Putnam County. And now we can put a number value on it. Man, that, that one's worth 5.3 million. No, you cannot put a number value on your airship and my airship to Jesus Christ. It's impossible. Now, verse number seven, look at that. You're an heir of God through Christ. It makes it invaluable. Verse one says, as long as he is a child. It don't matter if you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, or 70. In light of the internal existence of you and I's soul, we're children. We are going to live a lot longer in eternity after we die than we are now, even if we live to 120. We're going to live a lot longer on the other side of the grave. So we need to be prepared and we need to prepare other people for the most important time of their life. And that's why God sent forth his son to redeem us from the curse of the law. Made of a woman, made under the law. To save us from our sin. Sin's going to kill us physically. And if, our, if we die without Christ, guess where we're going to be on the other side of the grave? Separated from God and hell. That's not what God wants. God gave us a Bible with everything we need to know. We sit at home with our families. It's one day after another. It's one breakfast after another. It's one dinner after another. It becomes mundane if we're not careful. Depending on how you and I view life and how you and I want to spend our lives, we can either spend time complaining or spend time praising. 
We can spend time scowling. or We can spend our time smiling. We can spend our time being uptight over everything, or we can kind of just chill out a little bit. And I don't mean any of that by just letting our brains fall out and not studying the Bible or none of that. But I'm saying we can choose how we view life. And our perspective should be to prepare ourselves, to prepare our family for the family in heaven. Honestly, let's face it. Most of our activity is earthly activity. It's business meetings. It's goals and achievements. It's work. It's the mundane stuff that we all have to do. Do you know people will spend thousands of hours training and traveling for sports? They'll get their family out of church for sports. Now, look, I was part of this crowd where that was all that was important. Money after money spent, time after time spent. And this is all I'm living for. This was the only thing that was important to me. I'm telling you, in light of eternity, we're children. Now, I know we're adopted and we're, chill, we're a child of God and we have that airship and all that. But what I'm trying to get us is this future view that was pointed out here earlier. But this future view of eternity is a lot longer than what we have here on earth. Sports heroes are worshipped. They're hailed as great accomplishers. They're hailed as great heroes. And they certainly have earned a lot of their accomplishment and should be praised for it. But at what cost? At what expense? Why is the Bible preacher or the Christian church member considered a failure? Why? Because of perspective. Earthly versus eternity. We need to start getting our perspective right. All of us, myself included. So here's what I'd ask us all to do. Let's commit to having a heavenly perspective. Let's commit to making sure we mention Christ. Let's commit to maybe we all need some tutoring and governing in our lives. And maybe the Bible and Jesus Christ and God in his word and us gathering together. All of that will help to prepare us and to train us, even if we've been Christians a long time, even if we know a lot of Bible truth. Can we all be challenged to think a little bit different in light of how long eternity is compared to how short our time is here? Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.